Welcome back to the G Truth with the one and only Good Truth. And I want to start off this episode of the podcast with uh, talking about the conference championships in the NFL. I'm going to start off with the NFC and then go into the AFC. I'm going to give my opinions on them, um, kind of the stories that come up from them, from the games, uh, my takes on those opinions on those opinions or controversies, whatever they might be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my opinion on them, um, and then we're going to go from there, yeah. Alright, so let's start with the uh, Rams and Saints. So the Rams went into New Orleans and won 26-23, they battled back from trailing 13-0 in the first quarter, somehow got it to 13-10 by halftime. And took it to overtime and won. Now, both defenses played to their strengths. The Saints stopped the uh, Rams run, like the run game. Uh, the Rams only got 77 yards total rushing. And whereas the Saints got 48 yards rushing. So they both played uh, to their strengths, stopping the run. But neither team could stop the pass. Jerry Graff threw for nearly 300 yards, and Drew Brees threw for roughly 250 yards. Both QBs had a touchdown, both QBs had an interception as well. I, I would say that both QBs played pretty well overall, but what I want to highlight in, the, in this game and in the Patriots-Chiefs game is discipline. Discipline for each team in different ways, in different ways. So I want to talk about mainly the controversial call. Uh, well, it's not really controversial. We all know that it was a PI where the Saints wide receiver was open down the sideline and got blasted before the ball could even come near him. He got blasted. And, and the quarterback even like looked around looking for a flag and it was a blatant uh, penalty, but it didn't get called. And it was, it was surprising that, that that wasn't called. And you know what? If, if the Saints get that call, th- th- their chances for winning the game go way up. But it's not a guarantee. It's, it's, not a guarantee it's not a guarantee that they win the game, but their opportunity and their chances of winning definitely go way up. It's not a guarantee, though. But I will say that there are numerous penalties on the Saints that, that should have been called, like the two-face mask penalties, the delay of game penalty that was never called, and oh, there was one more. Oh, and, and that one, uh, pl- not play, but after a play where a Saints player jumped on a guy's face, essentially, um... So all those should have been penalties, but those weren't called. And those could have also yielded results that would result in the Rams winning either way. And the Saints not being in a position to win. But I think that you go back throughout this game and you say, yes, that that penalty could have cost them the game. But in the end, the Saints should have and could have done things that would have not put them in that position. First and foremost, they start out the the game with a field goal. Cool. But can you at least 
punch it in early on, please. Uh, Rams take possession afterwards. Uh, Saints pick the ball off from Jerry Goff. That was Jerry Goff's first and only pick of the game. And the Saints, in four plays, only go six yards. How do you do that? You are in perfect position on the Rams' 16-yard line, and you go six yards. Kick a field goal. If both of those field goals turn into touchdowns, this is a completely different ball game. That means that the Saints would be up 21-zip in the first quarter. If, if, if at least one of them is a touchdown, Saints are up 17-zip. And it's a completely different game. I'm telling you, it's a completely different game. Alright, let's keep on going. Saints keep them out of the end zone. Just once, just once, just once. Completely different game. If they stop that fake punt by Johnny Hecker, completely different game. But what shocked me the most was at the end of the game. Before overtime and regulation, where the Saints kicked the field goal, uh, after the no call but on that drive you already got the Rams down to two timeouts and you have a first down just run the ball you're at the 13 year line just run the ball it's all tied up 2020 just run the ball just run the ball drain the clock force them to use their two timeouts so you run the ball you get it down to minute 45 they call a timeout you run the ball again minute 40 they call a timeout. You run the ball. Minute 35, you drain the clock all the way down. 55 seconds. And then you kick the field goal. There's 50 seconds left on the clock. And who knows? Maybe you get a first down on there. Maybe you get a first down there. If you get a first down there, you win the game. I don't care if they've been holding your running game to a standstill for that whole game. you got to run the ball there. Instead of throwing it and allowing them to save a timeout. Because who knows? With 50 seconds left, could Jerichoff make a mistake? Possibly. We will never know because the Saints never gave them the opportunity to do that. Who knows? Maybe without that timeout, the Rams aren't as likely to target the middle. And maybe they have a situation where they throw it to the middle and are not able to hike it in time and therefore lose the game. All right, with that being said, 23-20. Rams have the ball, going down the field, trying to get, get the field goal to bring it to overtime. The Saints have them third and three at the Saints' 49-yard line. You've got to get a stop here. I mean, come on. You can't allow a 16-yard pass. You can't do that. And then after that, there was a play there. They, they, they could have had a sack. Put them way out of field goal range. But they weren't able to do that. The Saints had multiple opportunities to win this game. I'm going to put it at that. Going into overtime. Again. They got they got the ball first. 
they had an opportunity to put this game away despite everything that has happened. They failed to do that. Second and 16. After being uh, after, after being stuffed in the run. Second and 16. I have no idea what Drew Brees was thinking. He's been great his whole career. He's been smart as well. But this is one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen him throw. Aside from maybe the Cowboys game, where he just threw it into the dirt and got picked off right before it got into the dirt. This has to be one of the worst throws I've ever seen him throw. I mean, he's getting hit, getting sacked, shucks the ball up to Michael Thomas. Well, while he's being hit, so the ball is all wobbly. He... He throws it up so there's an arc on it. It's not a bullet. So it's an arc. So means that the defender has time to get to the position. And then Michael Thomas just throws the defender into the ball. Like, here. Intercept the ball. I mean, come on. And then the Rams get the field goal. Second and 13. At the New Orleans 45. You cannot allow that six yard pass to give them the ball, give them the ball at the 39 yard line. All credit to their kicker, Greg Zwerlein. Zwerlein, Zwerlein, whatever his last name is called. He made a 57 yard field goal clutch. That's a clutch kicker right there. But the Saints had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and couldn't cash it in. You can blame the call all you want, but they had their chances. And they failed to produce. And in this case, the better team won. I was split on my on my predictions. I thought the Saints had the firepower to, to win. But they showed me that they really didn't. They didn't have the mentality either. And now, after this game, Sean Payton went on a tirade, and so so did the whole other team, saying, hey, we should uh, change the rules on, on pass interference. You should be able to uh, replay it, have, yeah, replays of it. Uh, and, and the NFL started, uh, began to consider that this week uh, after the game, saying, okay, yeah, we'll consider it, making it uh, replayable for... Uh, if, if it's called, then you can replay it, see if it's actually a PI or not. And for me, it's... If you're a fan, th- this can go one of two ways. It can either make the games completely longer. Or it can not change so much the game speed. But it makes sure that plays are correctly called. Especially for defense and offense. So this helps both. Now, I think it's a good idea. I just don't want to see it abused. I don't want to see it be something that coaches can go up to the refs and say, hey, review that, review that, review that. Because that'll just make the game way too long. And we all know that there's going to be some contact every single time a wide receiver goes down the field, whether the wide receiver instigates it or the defensive player instigates it. There's going to be contact. That, that's just true. 
So I'm all for it, but there's got to be restrictions on it. I was thinking maybe you make it a challenge. But then I was thinking, wait, but what if it's true? And they're just kind of throwing it out because there's bound to be contact. So they just throw it out and they get their timeout back. They go down the field. So there's got to be some sort of restriction on it if it is to be implemented. Maybe you can only use it as a challenge. But right or wrong, you lose that challenge. So to make it a challenge, like you can challenge a PI on the field, but you don't get a challenge back even if you get it right. I I think that makes more sense so that coaches can't do that and it keeps the game same same uh duration and time. Next game, Pats and Chiefs. Now for me it was clear, the better team won this game. Patriots. I I I predicted them to win because of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Tom Brady threw for 348 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. One one of those interceptions was not his fault. It got tipped by Julian Edelman right into the arms of the defender. Let me figure out who intercepted that. What was it? I guess it was, yeah, Daniel Sorensen. And then the other uh, interception that Brady threw at the goal line, at the five-yard line, uh, was Reggie Ragland. And for me, that was, after seeing it, was a bad throw. He just didn't see the, he just didn't see the defender there. If he saw him, he just had to just throw it just a bit over, just a bit over, just a bit over. Just a bit over, and then Patriots would have been up 14-0. Not 14-0, they were 21-0. There you go. At halftime, much like... The Saints. Except in this case, the Patriots actually held on to their lead, unlike the Saints. For me, it was... Patriots were able to do everything they wanted on offense. Tom Brady was able to dink and dunk, throw over the middle, to Julian Edelman, to Gronk. They had fantastic games. They were able to run the ball. Sonny Michelle had 113 yards. Rex Burkhead had 41 yards. James White had 23 yards. Their only negative play for the whole game was at the end of the game when Tom Brady kneeled the ball. That was their only negative play for the whole game on offense. Tom Brady got sacked zero times. Zero times. This Kansas City team had one of the best pass-rushing teams. Tom Brady was sacked zero times, was hit once. That is how good that offensive line is, and that is how quick Tom Brady gets the ball out of his hands. That's just facts. It's true. Patrick Mahomes played great. But that all happened in the fourth quarter. And I would say that stats might say it otherwise, but I think Tom Brady had the better game. He played better. Patrick Mahomes' touchdown that stood out was a screen pass. It was a screen. Nothing too fancy there. Kansas City got shut down on their um, running attack. They had 41 yards total. Bill Belichick took that out of the game. But you got to know that after halftime, after all that pressure, they're, they're going to start having Patrick Mahomes roll out of the pocket, do bootlegs, do play actions. Uh, do rollouts, all that stuff. 
to move the pocket away and make sure that there's no pressure on him where he's at his best outside of the pocket. And that's when he got a lot more dangerous, did a lot more damage for the whole Patriots defense. But with that being said, for the most part, the Patriots defense played pretty well. They removed the greatest threats that the Chiefs had on offense, that being Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Patrick Mahomes' favorite targets. Sammy Watkins had a great game. 114 yards on four receptions. Could the Patriots have did a bit better on Sammy Watkins? Adjusted to him, to him a bit better? Probably. But they won anyways. Now, the main thing that people are taking away from this game is, oh, we got to change the overtime rules. Both teams need to get the ball. And for me, I totally get it. If you're a fan, like just a casual fan, I totally get it. Who does not like being entertained? Everyone likes being entertained. Everyone likes having fun. And that would give, I don't know, it, it would add a, it would add a different element to to overtime than knowing that whoever gets the ball first and has a great offense against a bad defense wins. Will probably win. And I get it. it. It's more fun, more exciting, more unpredictable, stuff like that. Where you just can't know what's going to happen. But you got to understand this from the league's point of view. What if Patriots go down and score? Patrick Mahomes goes down and scores. Tom Brady goes down and scores. Mahomes comes back and scores. Patriots go down and score. But, but, Tom Brady gets whacked. Breaks his hand or something, I don't know. Gets injured. Put, put, just put it like that, he gets injured. Defense holds Chiefs to no points. Patriots win in overtime, but Tom Brady's injured. Would you want to see that Super Bowl? Patriots against Rams, but there's no Tom Brady there. Some backup. And not like a backup like Nick Foles. An unknown backup. Like. Let me let me see who who, who the Patriots backup is. It's probably uh Brian Hoyer. Yeah, it's Brian Hoyer. Do you seriously want to see Brian Hoyer on that Patriots offense go against the Rams? That would be the worst most unexciting game ever. The rules should stay the way that they are. It's that we don't have that happen where we see players getting injured just to play an extra hour. Just to play an extra hour. In this case for me, the better team won. Why should we reward Teams with a great offense, but a poor and and poorly functioning defense win or go to the Super Bowl in this case. Instead of a team with a good offense and a competent defense goes go to the Super Bowl. Just cause just cause it's the Patriots? I get it, I hate the Patriots too. But we cannot change the rule just because it's the Patriots and because 
we don't want the Patriots to go to, go to the Super Bowl ever again. There's got to be more reasoning behind this than just entertainment. Look at the Rams-Saints game. You get enough pressure on the quarterback, you can force a turnover. You can make a stop. That is why. And that's a perfect example of why the overtime rules should not change. You play good defense. Your team can win. On just a field goal if you get that stop. And guess what? You don't even have to hold the other team to to not scoring. You don't, you, don't even, you don't even have to stop them from scoring. You just have to stop them from scoring a touchdown. They can score a field goal. That's all, that's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. And then your great offense can march down the field, score a touchdown, you win the game. That's all you got to do. So I don't want to hear any of this whining like, the pitcher's going to the Super Bowl again. Oh, no. We got to change the overtime rules. No, we're getting all caught up in this drama because it's the Patriots. Because no one likes them. No one likes Tom Brady. I'm sorry, but it's true. And that's my job, to give you the truth. The P.I. play, I get it. I get it. I would like some replay of it, some review of it. But it's got to be limited. Overtime rules have to stay. And in the end, both games came down to discipline. Saints decided to be flashy, show off their offense in the late game scenario when they could have just run the ball, run out the clock, make it harder for the Rams to score a touchdown or a field goal in 50 seconds with no timeouts. Made it harder. And who knows, they might have scored a touchdown. The Saints had this by just running the ball. Who knows? Who knows? Patriots and Chiefs. Tom Brady almost threw an interception in regulation while going down the field. I believe it was in regulation. Yeah. I think it was in regulation. Um, going down the field. But D. Ford stepped over the line. It was a penalty. And the Patriots went down and scored. That was that. It all comes down to discipline. Which team is more disciplined and sticks to what they are able to do well? Like I said, Kansas City had a chance. They intercepted Tom Brady. 3rd and 10, Kansas City 34. 54 seconds left on the clock. Chiefs up. 28-24. They intercepted Tom Brady. But their lack of discipline, of just staying on side, failed them. And I think that this is going to be a very good Super Bowl. It's going to be very interesting. It's going to be... I personally think that this is going to dictate the way that the NFL is going to go. And it won't really hurt Tom Brady's legacy, but it can only add to it. I'm going to say it right now. It's not going to hurt it, but it can add to it. 
Now, if Tom Brady gets blown out, then yeah, it's going to hurt it. But that's not going to happen. It can only help it. This is going to be a battle of experience, tons of experience, versus a lot of inexperience. A lot, a lot, a lot. Do I think that the Rams are going to be blown out? No. Do I think that the Patriots are going to be blown out? No. It'll be a close game, but I have the Patriots winning, and I'll give you my reason why in next week. I have them winning, and I think that this will make teams believe that, yes, we can go look for the next uh, McVay. We can go look for the next Coach McVay. But will it bring us to a Super Bowl? Will it? Or will making sure that we have a great QB, just like the Patriots, we, we make sure that he has all the tools that he needs. He has the right IQ. has a great defensive coach. He, the quarterback's a great leader. The coach is a great leader. Great franchise. Make sure that everyone's responsible. Hardworking. All that stuff. What's going to be more important? This game's going to dictate what is more important and where the NFL is going to go. And I think that this is going to be really tricky for the Chiefs going forward. I believe the Rams are going to be a threat here on out for a long time because they're willing to pay all their players. And I think that the Chiefs are going to have trouble returning and winning for years to come. I think that they're going to get into that Aaron Rodgers spot where Patrick Mahomes, great quarterback, athletic, has the arm, has the talent, all that stuff, just like Aaron Rodgers. Do I think that Patrick Mahomes will, will win a Super Bowl one day? Yeah, for sure. He's probably, he's probably going to win MVP this year. He's probably going to win a Super Bowl down the line. But it's not going to be... It's, it's not going to be a dynasty, I believe. According to the New York Post, and you can look it up, just type up Patrick Mahomes' contract. There's going to be tons of articles saying just this one thing. Sources told ESPN that the Chiefs are expected to extend their superstar, Patrick Mahomes, after next season in 2020, and he could be looking at the NFL's first $200 million contract. We do not know how much is guaranteed, but we do know no matter what, that is going to blow Aaron Rodgers' $134 million contract out of the water. He will be the richest paid, well, most paid quarterback and player in NFL history. And that's great for him. But my question is, how will the Chiefs be able to support this long term? Because guess what? They got D Ford, a great pass rusher, expiring this year. This year. They got Spencer Ward expiring this year, Chris Conley, Steven Nelson, Anthony Sherman, Orlando Skandrick. And I'm just going over the big names here. They got other players that are expiring. Alan Bailey. Expiring. Frank Zombo expiring. 
Sure, Kendrick West, who hasn't been a huge part of this offense, but he's been there. Calvin Benjamin, expiring. And then you go into the year that that Patrick Mahomes is expected to get this extension. 2020. Get Guess whose contract is expiring right there. Chris Jones. Kendall Fuller. Tyreek Hill. Are all of them going to be asking for big contracts? Yes. Especially Chris Jones and Tyreek Hill. They will be both asking for big contracts. And do I blame them? No. They've been playing spectacular. I think that this is going to get tricky. And they're going to fall into that, that Aaron Rodgers Green Bay part where they give a lot of money to the quarterback, but they don't have a whole lot of money to, to spend elsewhere. They already got 101 mil given to Justin Houston. That expires 2021. And he's 30 years old right now. I don't know how much longer he can last. It's it's not going to look good. And I think that they're going to fall into an area where they're not able to support their defense and offense. Their biggest contracts, 101 mil to Justin Houston over six years. That's, that expires 2021. He's 30 years old right now. 78 mil over six years expires 2023 to Eric Berry. He's 30 years old. Eric Fisher, 48 mil, expires 2022, 28 years old. Sammy Watkins, 48 mil, expires 2021, 25 years old. Travis Kelsey, 46, roughly 47 mil, expires 2022, 29 years old. Anthony Hitchens, 45 mil. Lawrence Duvernay Tardif, 33, 43, my bad. Mill, Mitchell, Swart, Mitchell Schwartz, 33 mil. Alan Bailey, 25 mil. Following that is Patrick Mahomes right now. 16.5 mil. That's going to go all the way to 200 mil. I have no idea how they're going to pay for other spots on the roster that they severely need help on, especially on that defense, especially since they had the 31st-ranked defense this year. I think that they're in a sticky spot. Hopefully they figure it out. I don't think that they will. It's going to be tough. He'll win the Super Bowl, for sure, in his career. But it's going to be tough. And it might be the only one that he's ever going to get. Anyways, thank you for listening. I'm going to move on to the NBA. And just one topic. Just one topic for today. That's all I need. And that's going to be the the Warriors. I know. Everyone hates the Warriors. But they have boogie back against both LA teams, the Clippers and the Lakers. Warriors are the, are the number one team in the West. They got the number one record. With boogie on the floor, he's played 18 minutes so far with that boogie death lineup, which would be Curry, Clay, Draymond, KD, and Boogie. The Warriors... With Boogie, with with those four, score 55 points. Their opponent scores 20 points. They're outscoring their opponents by 35 points with Boogie 
surrounded by those four players. Now, now, now this is just ridiculous. Per 100 possessions, their offensive rating would be 131. Their defensive rating would be 45.5. For a net rating of 85.5. Now, would that be sustainable and realistic? No. <laughs> but just the thought of that, over two games, considering that they have not developed that much chemistry with each other, and he's not at full strength yet, he's had much to learn, that is insane numbers. Over two games, yes, it's two games, but that is insane and and his role for the Warriors is not crazy or anything. Watch the games. Watch the Warriors games. I know it's going to pain you to watch them. Because they're the quote-unquote monsters and villains of the NBA. But take some time to watch them. Especially DeMarcus Cousins and what he does. He's, he's not going to put up 20 points or... 15 points every single game. He put up, I believe it was 8 points against the Lakers, 14 points against the Clippers, and got fouled out in that game. Both games, he assisted the ball a lot. He rebounded the ball a lot. One thing that's consistent with him is that he's a big dude. Look at pictures of him. He's a big dude. He's, what, 6'11"? Something like that. Let me check really quickly. 6'11", 269 pounds. He's a big dude. And what he does for the Warriors, especially with Clay there and especially with Curry there, is he sets those big screens. Makes it nearly impossible for defenders to come around him. And at that point, it's pick your poison. If you go over the top of the screen, Curry or Clay can drive to the basket Kick it back out for to, to Boogie for the three. He's wide open. Because both defensive players are going to switch over to whoever's driving. And if they don't, then it's an open layup. And if it's not, then someone's going to come over and they can just kick it out. Because they got threats all over the court. If that person, if that defender goes under the screen, well, Clay or Curry's just going to shoot the three. I mean, it's a lose-lose situation if you're on defense. And at that point, you just hope that they miss. Play the play, play the probability and hope they, that they miss. Against the Lakers. On Martin Luther King Day. Warriors versus Lakers. Thompson, Clay Thompson, dropped 44 points. Shot the ball 20 times, but made 17 of those 20 shots. Did not shoot a single free throw. Look at the box score. Jermon scored five. Durant scored twenty. But it wasn't like a. It wasn't like his usual twenty. It was like a very very quiet twenty, where he gets them from like shooting little mid range shots. Demarcus Cousins had eight points. Steph Curry had eleven points, shooting three of twelve from the field, shooting two of ten from three point, from from the from the three point area. Play at 44. 
17 for 20. He made his first 10 three-pointers. That's 10 three-pointers in a row. Look at the highlights. Some, some of them are contested, some of them are not. But he's making them. And guess who screened most of it? DeMarcus Cousins. That is his impact for the Warriors. DeMarcus Cousins had 5 assists. Curry had 12. Draymond had 7. Durant had 4. Guess what? They fed it to Thompson. They, Durant, Durant even said it after that game. They sold out to Clay Thompson, making sure that he got the ball every single time. And this is the important thing to understand about the Warriors and the Patriots, is that they remove their ego as much as they can from their game. They're all about who's hot, who's not. If you're hot, we're giving you the ball. Go ahead and score. We don't care if we don't score, as long as we're winning and you're happy. That's fine by me. In the month of January, Clay Thompson is shooting 56.5% from the floor, 50.6% from three, while attempting 9.2 triples a game. That is insane. Over 50% from three? And people said that he was in a slump? That's, that's only going to get easier for him with Cousins. People doubted that Cousins would fit with this Warriors team. He doesn't need to put up crazy stats. He just has to be there. His presence is enough. Kevin Looney dominated coming off the bench. Putting up 8 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals, a block. Cousins is physical in getting rebounds offensively and defensively. He had three offensive rebounds, six defensive rebounds. He can pass. He can set screens really well. He can shoot. He He's a threat from distance. Do you know how crazy that is for the Warriors to have a center who can shoot from distance? They didn't have that with Cabal Looney, Damian Jones, or Jordan Bell. Or any of their bigs from the past. This team is on a whole other is on a whole other level, and they haven't even reached their peak offensively with full chemistry. And like I said, with the screens, Durant, Kevon Looney, and DeMarcus Cousins combined for 14 screen assists, leading to 37 points against the Lakers. And most of that was for Clay. That, that's insane to think about it. Their four starters didn't play great, but only one of them played spectacular, and they blew out the Lakers by 19 points. And that score, 130 to 111, is super misleading because the Warriors were up by 36 points at one point. That's just the way the Warriors are. And I think that all NBA teams have to understand this. They they cannot try to replic- replicate the three ball that, that the Warriors efficiently shoot. You gotta watch them play. 
the Rockets have taken what the Warriors have done and perverted it in the sense that they are shooting nearly 73-pointers per game as of late. That is insane. Like, not, like just a look at 73-pointers in a game is, is insane. It, it's a complete perversion of the beauty of what the Warriors brought to the three ball. Where you have players running around screens, moving back and forth. That's Warriors basketball. That's what makes them so good. Is that it tires out the defense efficiently with everyone running around. Everyone on defense is getting tired by chasing the Warriors around. Not just iso ball, step back, step back, like James Harden, the double step back, three. Everyone's running around, everyone's pitching in. You think that James Harden would be willing to pass to Eric Gordon if Eric Gordon had the hot hand? If that meant that James Harden would not get his 30 points? You you really think so? I, I would say that he wouldn't. And that's okay. But that just means that you are not as well fit to win a championship and be part of a dynasty. And I think that's what's important for for teams in the future. NFL and NBA is that they got to find players that can put their ego aside, take pay cuts like Curry has done for multiple, multiple years. Same with Durant, same with Thompson, same with Draymond Green. Take those pay cuts so that they can form a dynasty and do it the right way. Thank you. That's been the G-Truth. And G-Truth out. Peace. Oh, and by the way, before I end the podcast, if you are on any uh, app that, 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 that you're using, please follow and subscribe so that you can get any instant notification of when I post an episode of the G-Truth. Got it? All right, cool. This has been the G-Truth. G-Truth out. Peace.